Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Call anytime. 1-300-01-1170 or text 0457-736-736. This is Mornings, right here on SEN. And it's a very good morning this Thursday. Adam Peacock with you. Thanks to uh, the boys of summer. The music's still running from the breakfast show with uh, Karianis and Magnuson uh, getting pranked. Uh, great to have your company on this Thursday morning. I'm Adam Peacock. I'm in for Matty White, who, yes, still at the beach shack, still enjoying the nor'east breeze, just wafting through that little beach shack that he's got on his secluded beach up there on the north coast. He'll be back next week. Looking forward to uh, Matty White being back, but looking forward to the next three hours and tomorrow as well, filling in for Matty. Want your takes on all the big sporting issues at the moment? 0457 736 736 or give us a call 1300 01 1170. And it's a big welcome to listeners on SEN 1170, the app as well. And on the podcast, we've got a big show ahead. We've got Australian cricketer Ash Gardner. You might have heard her there in the news. She's captaining, captaining the Governor General's 11. Uh, the tour match, the warm-up match for the internationals coming against Pakistan, the touring uh, Pakistan team taking on the GGs 11. And Ash will be captain. She'll join us shortly. Sydney Kings coach Chase Buford, they had a mammoth win in Brisbane last night. We've got the director of the test, the doco that drops on Amazon tomorrow, Adrian Brown will join us to uh, let us know how they've put that one together. It's the second version of the test. And hopeful later on to have a chat to Kaya Simon, uh, Matilda's star, because the Matildas have locked in their next fixtures. Three fixtures coming up against Jamaica, Czech Republic and Spain early next month in New South Wales, in Newcastle, Gosford and Sydney. So plenty of guests, plenty to talk about. This is Mornings. All I think of when that track drops... Mark is the film clip who and involved that uh, what was that actor's name that uh, we'll look it up quickly it's great that I'm bringing it up and it's gone over the top of my head and yours as well yeah but uh, it was it's a fat boy slim fat boy slim yeah Scottish of course Uh, of course he is real name Um, Norman Cook Norman Cook there you go DJ Norman Cook still kicking around and so is Thanasi Kokonakis in the Adelaide International hey what a segue was that? Uh, Tanasi had a big win last night against the number one seed and world number six, Andre Rublev. And uh, yeah, he's still going. So he's got a stack of points to defend Tanasi in his home uh, tournament, which he won last year. If he doesn't replicate those deeds or make the final, he's going to plunge in the rankings. It was a three set win. He was pretty relieved. And this is what he had to say after it. Well done. That's massive for Thanasi Kokonakis. He has put on a show tonight for the Adelaide crowd, and that is a big, big win. Man, I've had my best memories on this court. As I said, last year was was an incredible feeling. It's something that you only dream of as a kid, and and to play in front of you guys in this atmosphere every night, uh, it's incredible. Thank you. That's a big win, a big win. Uh, He's world-class, Andre Rublev. Um, You practiced with him a little bit during the week? Yeah, did, did you learn anything there? What was your game plan? 
Um, I learned that he hits the shit out of the ball, which I kind of already knew, to be honest. Um, no, nah, he's a hell of a player. As you can see, I didn't even play that bad a game. I just missed a couple first serves. And in that second set, that's all it takes against someone that quality. Um, he's a hell of a player, a ripper bloke as well. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's doing great, great things already and going to continue to. But uh, yeah, I'm stoked, uh, stoked I got one of my biggest wins in front of you guys. So that's awesome. It was a huge win. So a uh, bit of confidence building for Thanasi Kokonakis into the Australian Open. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, of course, plays Novak Djokovic tomorrow night. Um, if Djokovic is okay, he's got a few issues. That'd be a bummer for selling out a crowd and then he's not able to front up. He's got a, a little niggle, has Novak, with his uh, hamstring. So we'll see how he backs up. And it's a big congratulations as well to Naomi Osaka, wondering why she's not coming down to the Australian Open. There's a very good reason why. She's got a human growing inside of her. She's pregnant, so... Massive shout out and um, well done to Naomi Osaka and um, said partner. And uh, she will be taking, a, she won't be seen on the tennis court until well into 2024. So that's happy news for uh, the tennis crew there. Um, mentioned Nick Kyrgios. He's in the news for another reason uh, today. He's in talks to maybe join the ownership group uh, with a stack of NBA players, including uh, Dante Axum, who's not playing in the NBA at the moment, the Australian, but has been, uh, of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. So that's an interesting development. Last night, uh, interesting development for the Sydney Kings. They beat the Brisbane Bullets 116 to 67, the biggest road victory in Kings history, second biggest win in Kings history and we've got Chase Buford to talk all about it, the Sydney Kings coach a bit later on and Josh Giddy uh, dishing dimes as you like to say, triple double in the NBA, six career triple double in a one point loss to Miami so they didn't win Oklahoma City but uh, Giddy 18 points 15 rebounds, 10 assists building nicely, building really nicely, uh, a bit of rugby league news about, I think Dom's digging a bit later on, we'll have some a rugby league connotation later on. But uh, Anthony Albanese would uh, like to see an NRL team in PNG. Of course, he's up there visiting PNG and he's trying to make sure that they're on side and diplomatic relations remain on side with our nearest neighbour. And he's playing to the crowd there. He wants them into uh, the NRL. Not sure if it's going to happen, but he's thrown it out there as well. A bit of cricket as well. Uh, Brisbane Heat, they got belted by the Perth Scorchers last night. Eight weeks wicket victory for the boys from the West. Uh, Matty Renshaw and Usman Kawaja uh, didn't quite get the 30 as they returned to the Heat lineup after the Sydney Test. 155 runs was all the Heat could post and that was easily, easily chased by Josh Inglis, 67. Aaron Hardy, 65. Perth Scorchers getting it done. New Zealand easily got past Pakistan, the second one-day international by 79 runs and there's plenty more cricket on the way after the break here on Mornings. Because we're going to have a chat to Ash Gardner, a key member of the Australian women's team who are about to play the T20 World Cup and also about to captain the Governor General's 11 up there in Brisbane. Back in a moment, we're off and running for your Thursday edition of Mornings. Yeah, great to have your company on a Thursday morning on SEN. And it's great to have the company now of uh, one of Australia's finest cricketers, Ash Gardner, who is about to captain the uh, the Governor-General's 11 against Pakistan, ahead of a big series against Pakistan for the Australian women's cricket team before defending the T20 World Championship over in South Africa. Ash, good morning. How are you, Captain? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's the uh, no worries? How's the new responsibility feel? Do you, do you feel like you're really mature now, and like you, you know, you're, you're the boss there? You're gonna, you know, tell people what to do. 
Um, I'm not too sure that I'll be um, doing a lot of that. But, yeah, it, it, today's the first time um, where I'll actually be able to catch up with all the girls. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just keen to, I guess, tap into some people um, that I haven't really spent a lot of time, if any, with um, before. And, yeah, I'm just excited to, I guess, keep learning and um, developing within this leadership um, aspect of my game and then yeah, hopefully we can win ultimately tomorrow um yeah I'm, I'm just looking forward to the challenge ahead yeah well that's what you're there for to, to to win the game and it is a nice little precursor to what we've got coming up with the the series against pakistan which is is mainly going to take place up there in brisbane where you're at the moment and uh, north sydney oval and then down to hobart and canberra we'll get to that in a moment but the, the concept of this is to i'm, I'm guessing like it is with the pms 11 just expose some some younger players to to international competition yeah, pretty much. Um, and it's always kind of those young players that are um, on the cusp of, I guess, that next step up. And um, some of the players that have been selected in here have obviously shown what they're capable of. Someone like a Phoebe Litchfield, who's just debuted for Australia. Um, someone like Charlie Knott, George Vole. They're kind of those players that are on the fringe at the moment. Um, they're not that far away. And I guess they've shown throughout our WNCL and and WBBL what they're capable of. And, um, yeah, they're certainly exciting players to, to watch in the future. How is how is that pathway going um, with the Australian team or, or, or in general Australian cricket? With uh, you, you know, we've, for a very long time we've had an established uh, group of players who have done so well in everything they played and won everything there is to to win basically. But nothing lasts forever, obviously. Uh, how's that new crop? Yeah, it, it obviously isn't going to last forever, and you just have to look at some of the players that are probably at the end of their career and um, I guess once they retire, there is going to be quite a shift in um, what this squad looks like. And I think it's also exciting to see where this team can get to without those players as well. And um, yeah, I think the next generation around Australian cricket um, is certainly coming into their own. And um, like I mentioned before, like a, like a player like Phoebe, who's only 19 years old, um, who's just debuted for a country I, I look at her and I like her world is literally her oyster. She can be one of the best players in the world. Um, and I don't say that lightly because she's, she's one of my friends, but um, I think the talent that she possesses and the talent that some of the other players around the country possess um, is super exciting. And hopefully I'm still playing international cricket um, in eight to 10 years time. And I can see those players really blossom and um, see them come into their own um, at an international level. Just with leadership, who have, you, when you think of captaincy and, and great leaders in cricket, who springs to mind for you, both in the, the women's game and also the men's as well? Um, oh, there's there's plenty of people. I was actually fortunate enough to do um, a, a leadership program with Belinda Clark over the last year and I guess to tap into her brain, who's been a, a stalwart in um, women's cricket, both on and off the field. So to tap into someone like that, um, has been fantastic. But I think, obviously, more recently, the people that I've played under, um, being Megan, Megan Pez, um, and even Alicia Healy as well, I think their captains, um, in particular, Healy, she kind of just goes off. Like, she's quite a fearless captain, and I think that really shows in, in the way that she plays cricket as well. And um, I know that's probably something that I'm like as well, where I'm such a gut feeler, and I just go with my gut a lot of the time. And... Um, yeah, people either go with their head or their gut. And I, I feel like I probably lean towards that, which I think Midge kind of um, possesses as well. But yeah, I can't fault any of the captains that I've had over the past little period. Um, they've, they've certainly helped 
grow my game as well, um, giving me tips here and there. But, yeah, they're some of the people that I've probably looked up to within the leadership space. When when you say you do a leadership uh, course, what, what's involved with that? Because I've never, you know, I've never got a, I'm not even the leader of my house, let alone a, like a, a cricket team or whatever like that. Never had the need to go and do a leadership course. I, I just follow uh, follow the path that's set when it comes to particularly the household. What's, um, what, what is involved in that? Like, what are the, the key things that you take out? Um, so, yeah, the the leadership program that um, Belinda Clark, um, we were her pilot program. So there was um, each, there was a player from each state selected around the country um, in 2021. And we pretty much, she wanted to know, I guess, what our values were as people um, and then obviously tailoring what we're like as people towards what we want to work on as as leaders, as captains, as whoever you, I guess, aspire to be. Um, and then kind of just tailoring around things like that, like reading articles, um, watching videos on other leaders around the world and I guess how they deal with conflict and how they deal with high pressure. So it's about not necessarily something really specific, but I think wrapping your head around what kind of leadership encapsulates and that's a lot of things and it's a lot of worrying about other people and not just yourself. So Mm. um, it's certainly something that I really love doing and I love tapping into her brain um, because she's obviously been a fantastic captain, but also later in her years being um, from a business perspective, I think, yeah, she's someone that's a really good person to have on your side and yeah, just to have conversations with. So yeah, that was something that I really um, enjoyed doing. Of course, though, as a captain, you've got to look after your own backyard, your own game as well. How do you feel you you went through the, the WBBL and, and um, how do you feel your game's uh, in place for, for these big games coming up? Yeah, I think um, confidence is really key in, in cricket because you do have a lot more bad days than good, which is um, sometimes quite frustrating. But I guess you just have to keep relating it back to the good times and sometimes that's easier said than done because it is, especially in, in something like the Big Bash where you don't actually have a lot of time in between games to, to kind of work on things. So I think for me, yeah, it's been really clear in um, the way that I think and I feel like it's kind of weird when I when I feel that there's more pressure on me as a player, that's probably when I perform more. Um, and I don't know what that kind of comes down to. I just have to look at some of the best innings that I've played. We've probably been two for not many and um, I've kind of found a way to, to get out of that. So I think that's, probably me developing as a person as as well as um, a leader, but just being, I guess, making mature decisions as well. But, um, yeah, I think it's something that I've relished in and, yeah, hopefully um, I can showcase that tomorrow as well. Is the WBBL the, the standard bearer when it comes to um, the level below international cricket in, in women's cricket at the moment or is there, there others emerging quickly? Uh, I think so. Um, I just think the way that, I guess the WBBL has developed our state players um, and even the international players that come over and play in our competition. I think it is the standard, um, but I guess the more competitions that do come up, obviously we have the 100 now, um, the IPL starting this year. So there's um, there's plenty of exciting competitions to go and play in and just to see how, I guess, other um, businesses and um, boards, cricket boards work and I guess how they implement their um, competition. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, I guess, seeing how this next little period goes and, and yeah, hopefully Big Bash can um, keep keep leading from the front and, I guess, being the premier um, competition that people want to play in. Uh, 
I was going to get to the IPL. I've got to ask about this, obviously. Um, is there a few WhatsApp messages going around saying, are you in for this? Are you in for this? Uh, what do you care? Like it, nothing's been officially locked in, like things like uh, a, a salary cap of $6 million has been thrown around and uh, it's going to um, going to happen very, very soon. What's What are the players hearing about how this is all going to come together? Um, I think everyone's kind of um, just guessing at the moment. Um, obviously, we know what the what the bases are for for what you're going to go into the auction, and that's pretty much all we know apart from the dates that they're going to be played. So, um, yeah, we're kind of going into the unknown, but I think it's really exciting, and I think people would be silly if they didn't um, put their name down, even if they weren't selected in the first 25 players or whatever it is. Um, even then, being the next couple of players that could be called up um, at any point throughout the tournament. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly something that I'll be putting my name down for and um, fingers crossed they get picked up. But it's just to see the, the game growing globally um, is pretty much the most exciting thing um, more than anything else. Yeah. Pretty exciting, though, if it ended up like Cameron Green's situation, wouldn't it? Three million bucks. <laughs> I can dream. I can dream. <laughs> hey, back to what you want to accomplish with the Australian cricket team in the next uh, couple of weeks, Ash. Um, so January 16, it's AB Oval for uh, to, to play Pakistan, the first of the one day. Is, and a couple of days later, another one up there. And then North Sydney Oval, January 21. And then the T20s, North Sydney Oval again, Jan 24. January 26 in Hobart. And then January 29 in Canberra. So... Jeez, uh, six matches, and you're used to playing international matches uh, with a quick turnaround. Six matches in 13 days. It's uh, it's a pretty hectic program, but perfect as a, a lead-in to the T20 World Cup defence? Absolutely. Um, and I know Pakistan kind of possesses that different challenge. Um, we've played them quite a, quite a bit um, over the last little period, but we've never played them in our own condition. So I'm looking forward to the challenge, and um, I know they're going to come out here and... Um, try and beat us. So, yeah, we, we certainly need to be on our game. We can't take them lightly um, at all. And, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of just priming us for that World Cup, which is ultimately um, the thing that we're striving towards and, yeah, hopefully being able to go um, back-to-back. Have they lined up Katy Perry again for the for the final? Or what's happening there? Have you heard anything <laughs> along those sure lines? I'm not that, to be honest with you. Sorry? Nah, I, I <laughs> Someone. They'll get someone, hopefully. But, no, it should be a great event. And, um, yeah, busy schedule. Ash, congratulations on being named for the uh, the captain of the Governor-General's 11 against Pakistan, the key lead-up to all this international cricket on the way. Wish you well, play well, and uh, we'll be watching. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Ash Gardner, uh, one of the stars of Australian cricket right now. And, um, yeah, we'll look forward to uh, seeing what happens when it comes to the, uh, the the series against Pakistan as a key lead-up. Now, later on in the show, we're going to have uh, the director of the test, Adrian Brown. He's one of the key figures behind the scenes in putting this production together. We've seen season one of the test, and season two is about to drop on Amazon tomorrow. I think it drops in this proliferation of documentaries about sporting people and types and competitions. Uh, this is a little bit of the test. It's about um, the, the hobbies for some of the players. Cricket Australia basically said to us, OK, what can we do to kind of make your time in hotels for the next month better? It's time to go to work. My day starts now. So the, boy, the boys just took it to the next level. Within 30 seconds, David Warner said, we need a golf simulator. Took a screenshot. This is the one we need. 
Manus goes, we need a coffee machine. I'll sort one out. Steve Smith, we need oat milk. Cam Green, oh, we love a basketball net. We had more toys in the day, kids. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Sounds like fun. So we'll ask Adrian Brown all about that. Um, but it is... The, the test drops, uh, we've got the Netflix tennis doco dropping tomorrow, which is basically, from what I understand, that the Nick Kyrgios show. Um, he's like the – we had the Truman Show, now we've got the Kyrgios show. So we're all part of that little little bubble. Um, and then uh, later in the year, or no, next month, I think it is, the golf one drops on Netflix as well, full swing. Um, have we got the we got the promo for that? Uh, yeah, Mark's hit the play button. Every year, these guys fight for their career. You picked a hell of a year to start following the PGA Tour. I'm fighting to win every time I play. Whatever gets it done, that's all that matters. Winning is so hard on the PGA Tour. At the end of the day, you're playing against the best players in the world. They want to step on my throw, they want to step on theirs. It's winter, go home. Beautiful weather. All it takes is one week for your life changes. Quiet in the house, action. If I want the game that I love to be played by future generations, the game needs to be pushed forward. Ooh, sounds really dramatic. <laughs> Rory, is he the villain or is he a hero? Is Greg Norman going to feature in it with Liv? So you've got the test... You've got full swing and you've got break point, I think it's called, uh, for the tennis. 0457 736 736. Which one are you most interested in? Which one could you not give a flying golf ball about? Or is there another, and this is all off the back of Drive to Survive, that the template is there. Attract a new audience by widening your scope and making it really general, the doco, and then people who aren't interested in it can, that's their hook. That's what, bang, uh, sticks them to the sport. And it's worked with Formula One. So don't know how it's going to work. Uh, the test is already exposed. And that did really well in India, by the way, the Amazon series. Um, but you got the test, you got the golf. Is that going to open up a new avenue for new teams, uh, new fans, and also the, the tennis as well? So, which sport do you reckon is open for this kind of thing? I cannot believe, personally, cannot comprehend how the NRL haven't done one with State of Origin to open themselves up to an audience around the world. It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. They tried to make one, led to believe that a couple of the coaches didn't want to be involved. That's the easiest kill when it comes to rugby league and trying to grow the audience worldwide. What do you want to see as a sporting doco? Let us know. 0457 736 736. Back in a moment uh, with plenty more on mornings. And welcome back to mornings with Adam Peacock. Uh, Open up the line about uh, what we'd like to see in terms of sporting docos. Um, and one here uh, from Matt Peaks. What about that flog McElroy said last year he'd play in every event to Hawaii tournaments to start the PGA season in 2023? Where's Rory? It's a very good question, Matt. He, he might have a few injuries, injury worries or whatever. But what do you want to see in terms of a sporting doco? And which one are you most looking forward to as well? The golf one, the tennis one, uh, the test, the cricket one, 
or Drive to Survive, which is going to come back as well. Apparently, Max Verstappen is going to be involved. 0457 736 736 or the call line 1300 01170. Paul's on the line from Newcastle. Paul, what would you like to see, mate? Morning, Paul. He's there, but he's not there. He's probably talking, but he's not talking. Mark's good friend, the uh, the the phone box over there is working beautifully once again. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Paul Paul will come back. We'll we'll get back to Paul. It's uh, yeah, seamless in here at SEN Towers at the moment when it comes to the audio. But uh, yeah, we've got Chase Buford on the way, um, Sydney Kings basketball coach. Just before we get to um, Paul's call. Uh, update you on the football. There's a bit of news about the Matildas are about to play uh, three games early next month or mid next month, mid February on February 16, February 19 and February 22 against Jamaica, Czech Republic and Spain as part of a Cup of Nations tournament. So this is a key lead up to the Women's World Cup, which occurs in uh, June, June 20. I think the first game is or June 21 for the first game for the Matildas against Ireland when it comes to the World Cup. They've also got a, a tough little group when it comes to the World Cup. They've got Canada and Nigeria in the group. But uh, this little Cup of Nations will give themselves a, uh, a perfect lead-in. This, I reckon, might be the last time you get the chance to see the Matildas on home soil before the World Cup or before the World Cup build-up. There's two more friendlies in June. They'll be in Australia, I dare say, or one of them is definitely in Melbourne. But uh, in April, I think it might be in Europe, the uh, the two fixtures. So um, big occasion coming. So Newcastle, Gosford, also Sydney when it comes to the Matildas taking on those three nations just around the corner. Later in the show, we're hoping, if time lines up, to catch up with Kaya Simon. Uh, the Matildas, great. Was out injured at the moment, but still hoping to make the World Cup. And this morning uh, in the English League Cup, the quarterfinals, the two remaining quarterfinals, a huge shock. Southampton beat Manchester City. So Manchester City are out. Southampton go through to the semifinals. And Nottingham Forest defeated... Wolverhampton, Wolves, on penalties after it was 1-1 after 90 minutes. So Nottingham Forest go through. Nottingham Forest will play Manchester United in the two-legged semi-final and Southampton will play Newcastle in the first leg in a couple of weeks' time of their semi-final. Over two legs, the semi-final for the League Cup, EFL Cup. Uh, what's it also called? The Carabao Cup as well. Um, we've got him back on the line. Paul from Newcastle, you there, mate? What do you want to see as as far as the sporting doco goes? Mate, I'd I'd love to see an inside view of uh, all the all the amazing work and how much work goes into the referees and what they do, how fit they are, how much analysing they do. I've got no I've got no inside info on what they do, but to do what they do, there's a Boot full of work that goes into it, and maybe people might see the human side of them, and they might actually appreciate them a whole lot more. Good point. Good point, and also a key factor of of any production like that would be all the the abuse and the crap they cop from when things go wrong with coaches, players, and fans as well. Yeah, and I, and I think um, to to show that. Um, well, they're humans. I mean, it doesn't just bounce off them. I mean, to stand on the hill and sort of yell out something about your, your kids, your wife, whatever, you know, which these flogs do, I just think if you put it across how much, because they do a boot full of work and they're as fit as the players keeping up with them. 
and I just don't think they get the appreciation that they should get for like the, how many decisions do they make, the time they've got to process it, while their pace rate, pulse rate's up to whatever, to mm. try and keep up with these guys. I, I think it would do a great service to the referees and you could do a series each each year in a different sport, union, AFL, uh, rugby league. I, I think it'd be a great go. Paul, appreciate your thoughts this morning, mate. Um, thank you for that. Not a bad idea. And um, Paul, geez, he sounded like Anthony Griffin as well. <laughs> I'm not sure to see how Anthony Griffin gets on with the refs this year at uh, St. George Illawarra. And a quick one on the tax line before we get to the break. I would love to see the rebuild of the Bulldogs, Doco, with Gus and uh, Cameron Serraldo as a Bulldog supporter. Would love it. Forget about Tiger Town. Uh, Spooners to entertain us. They haven't got a name on that one as well. Uh, State of origin, Doco would dominate worldwide. Matt from the Gold Coast. I'm not sure worldwide. I'm not sure in like outer Mongolia they'd be talking about it nonstop. But it'd be a good thing for rugby league. Off to a break. Chase Buford, Sydney Kings coach on the way. Yeah, welcome back to Mornings with Adam Peacock. Well, I'm just about to talk to a coach who I'm not sure had to say anything to his team last night apart from, that was very good, well done, enjoy the win. The Sydney Kings absolutely belted the Brisbane Bullets last night and joining us on the line right now is Sydney Kings coach Chase Buford. Uh, Chase, morning, mate. It has to be a very good morning after that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great morning. We had a, a good game. Sorry, good morning to you, Adam, as well. Um, no, we, we had a, a good game. Guys played well. Uh, you talked about didn't have to say much. I think my coaches were getting on me saying it was the most I'd sat during a game all year. But, um, <laughs> no, it was just a, it was a, one of those games where things go right. It was fun to do. And then we had a, a nice team dinner afterwards. So, yeah, all good on our front. Yeah, when you get back to the locker room after the game, um, do you just walk in and just give a few pats on the back and say, keep it up and walk out again? Or do you get into any great detail about how good you guys were? No, I think, you know, you, you can't linger too long. We'll have the film review and we'll, we'll touch on the good and bad from the game. But yeah, I love just told the guys how proud I was of them. Derek was terrific, especially defensively. And yeah, now we move on to the next. What um what was so good? What was so good about the performance at at either end of the court? Yeah, I think our defense was really solid, especially after that first quarter. Or so um, gave them too much at the rim, and then we really closed that off, and we're able to get stops and when we get stops we can really get out and run which is I think what we're probably known for and when we're at our best is when we're playing fast and playing in transition so the defense led to a, a good offensive night for sure. Uh, the standings you're on top of the standings at the moment so is that a true reflection of where you're at you're, you're 16 and 5 you're your nearest opponent of Cairns at 14 and 7 um, so it, basically a two-game gap there is is that reflective of, of what's happening this season or is there more to come or is it slightly misleading? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're a really good team. You, you look back at our season, we played 21 games and 21 times we've had the lead in the fourth quarter. Now we squandered that five times and that's way too many for a team like us, but um, still have us up at top of the standings. I think we're, we're really now kind of starting to find our rhythm and hopefully we can keep pushing towards the playoffs. What, um, what's the next week look like? After a win like that, do you, I don't know, do you reward your team or do you just say business as usual, uh, show up uh, next practice and into it? No, I think one of the things we do really well is we just stay consistent. You know, win or lose, we come back, we watch the film, we try to learn from it and, and we just practice. You know, we're pretty consistent in our practice schedule and plans. We do a lot of the same things and 
try to work on our habits, and that's what we'll do the next, you know, we'll, we'll travel home today, do that the next couple of days, preparing for Illawarra, and then go play them on Sunday. Hawks is always fun. There's a bit of a rivalry there, the, the big brother, little brother mentality. You're expecting them to, to come at you pr- pretty hard? For sure. I think this will be my 10th game against the Hawks in two years, and every single one's been a pretty good basketball game. So we're fired up to, to play them. We know it's always going to be a, a feisty rivalry. They got, you know, They've had a tough break with injuries, but they've got a bunch of young players who are fired up about their opportunities, and Tyler Harvey's kicking butt and crawling as well. So we'll have to be ready and fired up for sure. Uh, crowds are awesome at the moment, NBL. I think over the summer period, and it's really worked, you obviously had that Christmas Day game as well, which was something different. Are you, I won't say surprised, but what do you make of, of what the this NBL season is developing into now that, um, you know, the... The pandemic is looks like it's in the rear vision mirror, and and sporting teams can get fans into their building or to into their stands um, how they see fit. Yeah, it's been great. I think I read that we're the only code in the country that's um, back to pre-pandemic numbers in terms of attendance in the games and actually surpassing those. I think it speaks a lot about the the quality of the league and the the quality of the competition and um, just the good product that it, it's become and. It's great to see, you know, even in Brisbane last night, they, they're struggling and there was a good crowd and a bunch of Kings fans. It's just it's great to see everywhere you you look that there's people in the building and, and people excited and interested about the league. I mean, your life has been basketball. Your family's life has been basketball. Has it, it shocked you in any way, shape or form what the, the basketball culture is down here after a couple of years down here now? Oh, I don't think it shocked me. It's, it's, it's a great culture, you know, from the – boomers on down to the youth programs it's i really enjoy the, the setup of australian basketball i think it's great for development for for kids and all the way on up but um yeah basketball around uh, basketball around the world is, is it's taken off and it's it's fun to see it growing in so many different markets we're with uh, chase buford the the sydney kings coach is pretty happy after the kings built at the uh, brisbane bullets last night 116 to 67 and news going around today uh chase i don't know if you've seen it that um nick kyrgios is apparently in advanced talks the tennis player uh to join the ownership group of the southeast melbourne phoenix um what do you make of that development um yeah i saw that it's you know again good for the league more big names obviously phoenix have a a star-studded uh ownership group but at the end of the day i don't think it's going to change the quality of the product on the court or anything like that too much probably just could be business as usual for them as well why do you reckon um nba players like john wall zach randolph he's their names have been loped in with this ownership crew but why do you think that people like that are getting involved in the nbl and chris middleton a guy i used to work with the bucks he's a you know part owner of the bullets too i think yeah um athletes in general are excited to become owners and realizing what power ownership provides, whether it's heck the pickleball league in America right now, you see all the owners are athletes almost. And um, I think players are now also in a position or or athletes are now in a position where they're able financially to to make those type of investments. And um, it's just, it's good to see those type of people in charge that, you know, the the competitive athletes that want to be involved in the teams as well. I'm guessing as a as a coach, you, and I'm not going to try and get you into trouble here with your owners or whatever. But if there's a player who's an owner, there's a bit more understanding, wouldn't there be, from a from someone who's been there, done that, rather than some businessman who thinks they know everything? 
Well, we've got a nice balance in our group where we've got a couple former players in Andrew Bogut and, and Luke Longley who provide that um, player perspective or, or, you know, been there perspective. And then we've got two great business people, or a few great, and Paul Smith, Paul Kind, and Robin Denholm and their family. And so we've just got a nice balance in our group of business and, and basketball, and it's a, a really collaborative effort on our decision-making. Geez, that was well said. <laughs> just looking <laughs> looking after your owners and making sure that you say nice things about them. I, you're a smart man, Chase. You're a smart man. They, uh, <laughs> they still pay my bills at the end of the day. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, um, just with your upbringing as well, just want to touch on that in, in your coaching experience. I was, I was reading last night that you started like at the very bottom when it comes to coaching is, is like pouring over tape and things like that. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, you say at the bottom, I started as a video intern with the Atlanta Hawks and, and Coach Budenholzer. Um, you know, I was very fortunate to, to get an opportunity like that. Obviously, my dad being in basketball played a big role. But, um, yeah, the chance to, to get to see that from, the, you know, you, you you don't learn near anywhere as much as you do watching film and getting to cut up thousands of hours of film over a few years really gave me a good base. And then getting to coach in the G League, was a great opportunity to continue to grow my um, coaching acumen, so to speak. And, yeah, I've just been really lucky to have a bunch of great opportunities um, in the game of basketball. And, obviously, my dad's played a huge role in that. So, nice. so you literally had to basically look at every practice, every game, look for anything that you could find, and then it might have been relevant, might not have been relevant to the coaches who, who needed that film. Oh, for sure. And most of it probably isn't relevant, but you got to go pour through it all and find the good and help them, you know, present the best scout or whatever it is to the team. And, you know, Coach Budenholzer is probably as good of a film coach as there is in the NBA. So as he came up through the video room as a video coordinator with the Spurs 30 years ago. So, um, yeah, really fortunate to, to learn from some of the people I've gotten to learn from and um, the opportunity, again, just to do the work over a few years to, to get that base to go forward. Have you got a film intern at the, the Sydney Kings? For sure. Yeah, we got Gus Henskins. He's doing a great job. His dad's uh, actually a minister of sport for New South Wales, Alistair Henskins. So. Um, but, no, Gus does a terrific job for us. He's always on point. You know, we had a great one last year in Lockie Lonergan. He went on to be a assistant coach for the Illawarra Hawks. So um, we love to see guys, you know, move up and move on in their roles. And that was a great reward for him. Oh, good. Well, mate, you've uh, you've got a plane to catch back from Brisbane. It's going to be a happy little uh, happy little group going through the airport, I think, and, and traveling back to Sydney and preparing for the next game against the Illawarra Hawks. Chase Buford, thanks for joining us on SEN, and well done on the win last night. Um, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No worries. Chase Buford, the uh, Sydney Kings coach. And um, don't forget that uh, on Sunday, Illawarra Hawks, Kudos Bank Arena, another big crowd expected. It will be a special double header clash at Kudos Bank with uh, the Sydney Flames playing Townsville Fire from 1.30 before the Freeway Series game against the Hawks at 4pm. Tickets selling fast at just $22 for adults and 48 for families from Ticker Tech. Let's pack the queue in Sydney. The Sydney Kings flying. Call anytime, one 1170 or text 0457-736-736. This is Mornings, right here on SEN. Reckon if you're a cricket fan or a general sporting fan indeed, um, you're in for a treat with the, uh, the second series of the test about to drop on Amazon. It happens tomorrow and the director 
of the series. He did the first one as well. Adrian Brown joins us now on Mornings with me, Adam Peacock. Uh, Adi, how are you, mate? Good, Adam. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to this series. I've, I've obviously seen the promos and, and everything. You're probably sick of it by now because you've watched <laughs> watched every single second probably 10 times <laughs> over of it. But um, what's the general feeling about how it's all came, come together? And, and was it an easier process than doing the first series? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, isn't it? I, th- I think at the moment there's sort of there's excitement, there's nerves, there's um, like it's great to finally get it out there because you do sit with these projects for so long. It's been sort of over a year now since we started filming, and um, you know, and, and then you you rewatch and you redraft it. It's that sort of you sit on it, and then at some point you go, okay, you lock it away, and well, we can't change it now. So you're sort of you're waiting for that feedback to come in from everybody to. To hear and, and you, you, you know you'll never please everyone, but um, you know from early reports, people really, from what people have seen, they seem to really enjoy it, and I think people intrigued by it. Um, whether it was easier or harder than last time, it's probably hard to say because these things are probably just never easy. And, and part of that reason is because you just go in not knowing what exactly you're in for and, and what is going to unfold in the in the time period that you're filming. You know, all you know is that you go, okay, there's an Ashes campaign, there's a there's a tour to Pakistan and a tour to Sri Lanka, and, and that's all you basically can plan. And then whatever whatever happens within that, whether that's on the field or off the field, is you know all you can do is hang on and, and sort of let that dictate how the story plays out. Now your your style, I'm led to believe, is is as least intrusive as possible. And when I say that, in making a doco, you could have if you did it like an American film, there'd be like. 10 people around the camera, following the camera around, like soundos, production mm. people, all, all technical staff. But you you go light because you, you want as much natural behaviour to, to shine through. Is is That's close enough to the mark? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it's always, I think in that, and you never know, and, and probably the benefit of coming from Series 1 to Series 2 or, or how we did Series 1, that, that was probably a way to get in. And, and cricket's a... Every sport's unique in its own sense, but you know, to get inside, you know, some change rooms or dressing rooms in a cricket tent are really tiny. So if you did have, you know, a camera, an audio operator, or a producer inside that setting, there's three members of the team, or there's there's three additional members to the team that could provide a bit of a distraction. Where the way we've always worked is with Andre Major, who who shot the series, you know, embedded within the team. It's just Doc, and he does does it all himself and, and moves around in that sense. And it really is that fly on the wall operation where, you know, he'll be in the full kit and he becomes that 15th, 16th member of the squad who's traveling. And after, after a couple of weeks, the players all say that they just forget he's there. So he'll position himself in the dressing rooms in various stages and has to be aware of, of where to move and where to go. We'll speak to him, you know, through the week, through the night, you know, just to go, okay, what's coming up, what's moving next. But at those moments when something's to happen, it's a matter of doc. I guess reading the play and being aware of, okay, I need to be in this situation for for the reaction to that moment. So so you're just not chasing everything, I suppose, and, and it can unfold in front of you. A key part of um, the this uh, series, I'm, I'm guessing, is the, the Pakistan tour because Australia, yeah. I forget how long it was, but it was a big, big gap between... 24 last, years, yeah. 20, yeah, 24, and obviously things went really well, but the, the team was received really well when you started to get back that footage about um the players trying to immerse themselves as much as they could in pakistan i.e around this heavy security that was there and you know they're used mm-hmm. to five-star hotels and all that how was that and and as a bit of a 
you know, a point of difference to the first series. Oh, I, I, think, I think that was huge. And, and there's probably the two episodes certainly focusing on Pakistan and also Sri Lanka. I, I think there's a sense in seeing those images come back. And the first time we saw them, we sort of all just looked at each other and said, oh, well, that's pretty special. And I don't think people were aware of, oh, that was the situation the team were travelling into and, you know, what was around them to make this tour happen. And it was an amazing effort for everybody to come together to do that. And then how appreciative the Pakistan fans were of the team travelling. So, you know, those series, uh, you know, we see a lot of the images, you know, over the Australian summer of the test matches, but sometimes not everyone's able to sit up and watch, you know, five days of a test match overnight. With Pakistan, we're working and we're doing other things. So suddenly I think to see those environments, the team were, you know, playing cricket in what they were also going through on the field and how they approach those series, I think they're two of the most fascinating things that Mules have set away with and go like that. That was really different and I wasn't quite aware of that situation. Uh, what about some of the, the quirks or characteristics of players that, that shine through in the series? We, we've seen um, some promos, obviously. So you've, you've got the messy mm. um, portion of the dressing room and Mitchell Stark lying, lying out the tape on there to, to, to put his... Like basically have his own jurisdiction inside the dressing room. That you got Marnus toasting a, a cheese toasty and putting it in the fridge. That's just. I know. I'm, I'm wondering whether that's going to set off the next generation of kids who are all going to start, you know, throwing cheese toasties in the fridge. Yeah, know, at so, their local cricket club. Not so sure about that, but anyway, Marnus is Marnus. <laughs> um, is, is there anything else that that pops out at you that we should keep an eye out for? Yeah, there are. And obviously, like, there's the, we all know the Scotty Bolton story from that, you know, his great performance, Boxing Day, and Usman Khwaja's comebacks. But there's, there's moments, I think, within that that you'll see whether that's Scott Boland just walking into the change rooms for the very first time, you know, as an Australian cricket player before his debut, which I find really fascinating to see that dynamic because it's almost like any, you know, local change room. Or it's Usman spending time with his family, you know, in, during the days of the Sydney Test match. And with Usman's also great is how he's able to take you into his mindset, how he's, where he was with his cricket career at that stage. And then for that opportunity, that, that's equally fascinating. And I think also, you know, even in Sri Lanka, just just the environment of, of the players, of watching the game unfold and outside of that game, the political situation that was unfolding in Sri Lanka, mm. you know, you sort of step back and think, oh, yeah, this is this is really different. And, you know, I think Gideon Haig puts it within the documentary how unusual it is for a game like cricket to last five days that at the start, by the end of it, you can have, a, a you know, effectively a different political situation of a country unfold while the game's run its course. Yeah, that's right. I remember that now. That During the game, there was a coup on the – there was a bit of a coup and then they stormed the presidential palace and ended up having an afternoon there. Just swim, Not the Australian cricket team is. This is people Sri Lanka having an afternoon in the president's swimming pool. And, and Absolutely. That, so, yeah. Absolutely. You know. Different. Very different. Hey, um, with, with making these things, it's obviously a, yeah. a meticulous process. So we sit down and watch and, you know, I don't know how long the apps go for, 45 an hour or whatever. How long – does one episode take from when you get the, the vision, the raw vision from um, from Doc to mm. actually putting a bow on it and saying this is ready, all, all mixed, all, all mastered, and it looks the way I want it to? Well, you probably – gee, it's, a, it's an unfolded period of time. It might be probably – you might allow yourself sort of, I guess, 12 weeks for an hour of TV if you were sort of turning around an hour of TV. And that would probably be just in – 
in the crafting and, and working together. But but one of the unusual situations, I guess, making these um, documentaries or these types of series is that you never have all the elements at your disposal and then just move into the edit. That you're constantly adding um, you know pieces to the puzzle, whether that's further interviews with the players because we do those interviews after the event, after a tour when they're back in Australia or whatever else there is, and then you're adding in further backstory. So nothing's ever quite finished and, and neatly wrapped up because there's always the possibility of adding more. And then, of course, they'll go on to the next tour and a story will unfold that you might want to lean back into to go, oh, hang on, we need to drop a few hints back in episode one to marry this up, what might come in episode three. So you're constantly reworking and and redrafting and then you'll do another interview and you go, oh, that enlightens us a little bit more about something actually that happened in one. We want to go do another interview about that. So really the, the process certainly of post as a whole, it, it was probably about a good six months of really just working through the edit suites and, and working through conducting interviews and then getting it to the point of, okay, we can finally lock this off, put it through audio post, through, put it through the grade and then have a finished product. And yeah, get it to the point where um, Amazon are happy with you because people aren't getting five minutes into an app and just switching off and going to find something else. Cause... That's the other challenge. That's the other challenge. I think that's probably the hardest part of the process of going. You get so many great moments and sometimes a moment just won't make it in because there's not a logical way to get there for the story to to move through and connect it to, to I guess, all the other dots because otherwise you'll just have a big hey, here's 45 minutes of a mashup of just moments. But what we're trying to do for the viewer is to sort of make a connected story that you can follow from start to finish and hopefully it flows and you don't even know where it's moving through because hopefully all the interviews connect and the storylines connect to tell a seamless story and an entertaining story um, that keeps people watching. The last one was... Um had a lot of Justin Langer in it, which at the time was probably yeah. fair enough because that was the, he was the guy that was trying to turn around everything that happened out of, uh, out of Cape Town. Um, this one though, I'm, I'm led to believe is, is very much player focused. Yeah, it was always actually sort of coming in, I think. And it's interesting that first one, and I think that's true. There was sort of, you know, and, and credit and thanks to Justin for always allowing those cameras. You know, I always think that, it, you know, it was amazing that, he allowed viewers in at a time when he accepted the role as the head coach. Um, for him to do that, for, for that stint, was amazing. And then it was always probably the opportunity that we never quite got to go deeper into the experience of playing for Australia and, and the players away from the game. And part of that, I think we were blessed in the first series, that we, we just had a great underpin, underpinning narrative of you know the rebuilding of the team. Plus, we also had some amazing um, tours. You know, and you think of the Ashes series, you know, um, or was it was it 2018-2019 no, 2019 yeah. Ashes series yeah when you think of all the events that happened some of the most amazing matches of all time it's like well we're not going to move too far away from the cricket because the cricket itself is so, so amazing um, so then coming in this time we always knew it was like hey there's, there's an opportunity to go further into the player's story and you know and credit again to Justin he said okay I'm happy if the players want to do this let's allow the cameras in um, and, and let's focus it in on the players and the players' experience. Talking to Adrian Brown, director of the test. Um, mate, there's, as I said earlier in the show, we've got a golf one coming out on Netflix in the middle of February. Yeah. Uh, you've got you guys dropping yours tomorrow. You've got the tennis one coming out on Netflix tomorrow as well. There's, there's plenty to watch. What, what do you notice about um, 
th- this market of sporting documentaries going out to try and draw new fans in. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? And, you know, you've, you've had the F1, you've had now cricket and, and everything else, and there's so many others on Prime Video as well. But it's interesting. You always, I, I am constantly thinking of, oh, what's the next sport? What's, what's the next one? What hasn't been done yet? Um, what hasn't been tapped into? But I, I, there is something just about, I think that, whether it's access or behind the scenes of, you know, that struggle or that extra layer, because I think for so long we were just used to watching sport through that traditional way of the broadcast to go, okay, here it is from, from this point to this point. And this has just opened up a new way of viewing and, and just a new way of, um, I, I guess, connection for fans to go, oh, you know, I, I like the personality of, you know, this player, that player, whoever it might be. And I'm sure, you know, across the test, there'll be players that people connect to, whether it's Scott Boland for just how, you know, Quiet, quiet he is and unassuming he is, or it's Usman Khawaja for you know how he goes about his cricket. It's um yeah, it's amazing to see in the last sort of well, certainly probably five five years just how, how many there are out now. Yeah, well I'm sure the test is going to stand out, and I'm looking forward to having a look at it, uh, Adrian Brown. Thanks for joining us this morning, mate, and um, hope it goes well for you. I'm sure it will. Great, thanks, Adam. Appreciate the time. Too easy. Adrian Brown, uh, the director of The Test. You can catch it on Amazon Prime Video starting tomorrow when uh, that lobs on that particular surface. And welcome, welcome back to Mornings to with Adam Peacock. It's great to have your company. A bit later on in the show, we'll have uh, some new rules updates. And they're just little tweaks. It's like a it's like an update to your phone. It's not like you need a new phone. There's no new massive rules. There's just little tweaks uh, to some of the interpretations and rules for 2023, season 2023. That's just lobbed from the NRL. Today we'll have some more tennis, a bit more cricket as well. Hopefully catch up with Kai Simon, um, Matilda, and human of the day is just around the corner. And, Mark, you're going to love this one, mate. You're going to love this one. A little less pop culture, culture today, but it does have a strong twist of pop culture in it. So there you go. That gave away nothing without yeah, we're absolutely. By saying plenty. Yeah. Uh, Dom's in here, um, producer Dom, because we're going to have a little football roundtable chat. A bit going on in the world game this morning. So Manchester City got dusted by Southampton this morning. Oh, what a shock. And City were the kings of the Carabao Cup. They went, I think, four years undefeated. Mm. And then they lost to West Ham last year um, in extra time or in penalties. I can't remember. But And then they've just got smacked by Southampton, who are probably one of the favourites to go down in the Premier League this season. I mean, it's not, it's not, it wasn't a bad team either. Yeah. You know, De Bruyne's there. Any team with De Bruyne's a good team. So Haaland come off the bench. Yep, Alvarez. Um, Alvarez started, the starting Foden. striker for Argentina in the World Cup. Calvin Phillips. I believe his first appearance in just around seven months after yep. being injured. First start. Yeah. First start, that's yep. Uh, Ilke Gundogan was there, Akanji, Nathan Ake. I mean, this was basically full strength with a couple substitutes. Yep, missing. Uh, the other quarterfinal this morning was a bit of drama. Yeah, Nottingham Forest and Wolves. <laughs> we were watching this game, and as a United fan, you know, me and Dean Henderson don't really get along. And Manchester he... United fan. Yes, yes, Manchester United. Not a Leeds United fan. No. Or a Newcastle United fan. You know what? Uh, my, Manchester United. My dad's not going to be too happy with that. He's he's listening to this now, and he yeah. he was a bit pissed off that you didn't recognise Manchester United as United. Don't start me, <laughs> Dom's dad. I'm sure you're a nice bloke, but there's more than f- one United in football. <laughs> just because we're famous, just because we had backs and we had a good run of it during the early '90s, means we can just drop our first name. Yeah. And call ourselves United, even though there's a thousand other Uniteds in football. 
Why not? Who's the most famous? Anyway, let's let's get back to the Carabao Cup. So Nottingham Forest and Wolves go to penalties. Mm-hmm. I said to you before the final penalty, I said Dean Henderson is not very good at saving penalties. No. What does he do? Save the penalty Save and the wins penalty. Nottingham Forest the game, which then turned into a bit of a biff between the two sides. It was brouhaha. Yeah, massive brouhaha. And uh, Adama Traore was uh, arcing up, which, as you said, I don't think anyone wants to get near oh, him. So for listeners who don't know who Adama Traore is... He is this bloke who would not look out of place. He's basically the the build of uh, a rugby league winger, Sevo oh, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. He he is a unit. He yeah. oils his arms up before he comes on. I mean, yeah. big arms as well. He's he's just a so yeah. No one was picking him, but um, it was all a bit of push and shove and carry on. He's built like that. a brick. You know what? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the draw for the semifinals is. Uh, United has avoided a draw with Manchester United. Ah, oh, get out of here. <laughs> uh, so it's Southampton, Newcastle and Nottingham Forest, Manchester United. Which will set up a United final, I'm hoping. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, if you can get past Nottingham Forest. Oh. See what happens. Uh, what else is happening, mate? Chelsea uh, have are starting to cop it from um, people who have been involved with the club for a while or involved with the club for a little bit. I saw comments from Mark Schwarzer saying that Chelsea have no idea what they're doing. There's no clear direction. They're just basically signing every young kid that they can who shows a bit of talent for a lot of money. Mm. And they're burning a lot of money for what? The latest being? Uh, Jao Felix. So we said this yesterday, but it's been confirmed. $10 million loan fee, $6 million in wages for six months. Pretty handy uh, salary package there. Almost like your salary package at yep. Code Sports. So, uh, no, it's good. here. The, the freelance oh, wages that I'm getting from oh, okay. Jez and Hutchie. Yeah, we'll, here we'll, at we'll great. talk about a pay rise about that. But uh, Yao Felix, who joined Atletico Madrid from Benfica at 19 for $196 million Australian, mm. never really succeeded there. But... I do agree with Mark Schwarzer. They really don't have any idea what they're doing because Fabrizio Romano tweeted a, an hour ago saying that despite Yao Felix, they're still going to go after Borussia Mönchengladbach and French striker Marcus Turam, who obviously had a few good chances in their World Cup final after coming mm. on for Olivier Giroud. Um, Steven Gerrard, I'm fascinated by this story. <laughs> He's on the cusp of a new job or is this just a rumour? It's a pretty heavily reported rumour that he's in talks to become the new Polish uh, national team manager. Poland? Poland, yeah. Oddly enough, he used to manage a player. Matty Cash. Matty Cash. Matty Cash, yes. A name like Matty Cash plays for Poland, (laughs) thanks to Heritage. So I don't know if the links come through agents or whatever like that. Who knows? Uh, And Antonio Conte has um, said something that ties him to the club for the next... 400 years without success, maybe. <laughs> this is a report. I couldn't find who reported it. Um, but apparently he said he's not going to leave Spurs until he wins a trophy, which, as you said, <laughs> would tie him there for the rest of his life because Spurs mm. will not win a trophy. Yes, exactly. It is a silly season. It is transfer window season. Any other yarns kicking around? Oh, at the moment, the biggest one doing the rounds is Atletico Madrid asking Barcelona about their striker Memphis Depay as a possible replacement. Now, I heard this um, on ESPN FC last night, and the last person, the last striker that mm. Barcelona sold to Atletico Madrid was one David Villa. And mm, what did okay. David Villa do that year he went to Atletico Madrid? He won the league for Atletico, and Barca did not win that year. So, A quick one on Ronaldo before we let you go, Dom. Uh, you, the first thing you showed me when I walked in this morning was... <laughs> You asked me a question, should I or should I not? Yes. 
Should you or should you not do what? Spend $1,500 on a signed Cristiano Ronaldo jersey. I think that's incredible value for which, Ronaldo. Which team? Manchester, Manchester United. Manchester United. Not our NASA, no. Oh. Not United. Manchester United. Manchester United. I'm being respectful to you. How much? <laughs> 1,500. One, five, double, zero. They could get you 15 memberships at Wimbledon. <laughs> for the Al Nasser player. <laughs> what? That's, that's true. It's a fact. That's, it's, that's who he plays for. And that's yeah, what, not wrong. For the guy who's not won the World Cup. <laughs> for the guy who's won the Euros, yes. 1,500 right, bucks. Yeah. And the guy who's won five Champions Leagues. No wonder six, you. Six you've bad. obviously got too much cash because you did the kind thing today of volunteering to get the mid mid show coffees. Hey, and I just that, wanted a that's coffee. A, that's a good effort. I'm not going to um, come to you and say, "Hey, Peacock, you know, can buy you me buy a, me a coffee?" I'm, that's not how I was. Tomorrow, raised. I'm on as a thank you for this week of guiding oh, you through it. But um, fifteen hundred bucks for a great value. Ronaldo. Great. I honestly think that is good value for anything Ronaldo signed. No, no. Um, Adam uh, writes, "Who's this?" Uh, adds. In Churnside on the uh, on the text line, bit of success in the early nineties for Manchester United. What about the mid nineties, late nineties, early two thousands, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. I would love if United beat Newcastle. Yep, true. Yeah. Good Thank luck you. to you. Yeah, a bit of success. Much. They went all right. They went all right. And what about Carlisle United? Right, Stu from Cronulla as well. There you go. Gold Coast United. Gold Coast United. <laughs> Clive Palmer United. Western United. Yeah. Western United. No, I prefer Clive Palmer United. Sydney United, yeah. Clive Palmer United. So many good stories <laughs> about Clive Palmer. The second year, Clive Palmer at Gold Coast, he stripped all the money out of the club. Basically <laughs> realised that he wasn't making money on this little football soccer venture that he had up there on Gold Coast, the A-League team. So they're training at the Southport School in you know beautiful, opulent surrounds, but they're the secondary tenants, the kids are the main tenants, the Gold Coast. Basically, he, he, all the players spotted him, pulled up in this Ferrari. It took him about 10 minutes to get out of it. Finally gets out of the Ferrari, gets up to the team meeting room and then basically tells everyone that no money will be spent on the team. If you need physio after training, here's the number of the local medical centre. You what? can go down and sit in the queue and blah, blah, blah. And he waddles off back into his Ferrari and drives off. <laughs> I just wonder how Clive Palmer fits into a Ferrari. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, quite... One of a kind. Yeah. One of a kind, Clive. Yes. Great Australian. (laughs) And one of the great A-League owners of all time. Dom, thanks for that. You'll be back with Dom's Digging. Give us a little hint of Dom's Digging uh, later in the third hour. Um, A former NRL team has linked up with an unsurprising, or a a very surprising uh, joint venture to get back into the NRL. We'll hear from Dom a bit later on with Dom's Digging. We're off to a quick break. We've got Human of the Day on the way. Welcome back to Mornings. We've got our human of the day, and it's an NFL theme today. So um, just a reminder, now I'm, I'm going to tag a sponsor to human of the day today for the first time. We've got the, the magnificent, I think it's the, the Fox NFL yeah, the Fox music. Theme. That's the theme. Uh, stream every NFL game this season live on NFL Game Pass. Visit nflgamepass.com. And our human of the day today comes from an event. It's not so much someone born on this day or who sadly passed away this day because this person is actually still with us. Joe Namath is our human of the day. Now, Mark, you're a massive NFL fan. You know who Joe is. Absolutely. Former Broadway Jets Joe. quarterback. Um, led them in 1969. Well, that's why he's human of the day, because uh-huh. on January 12, 1969, he won Super Bowl three. Yes. And it was famous because of the guarantee that he gave. So he was playing for the New York Jets, who were 7-1 to head-to-head underdogs 
against the Baltimore Colts. The Baltimore Colts were out of the NFL, which is, I'm guessing now, the NFC. Yep. The AFL team, lucky they didn't keep that acronym, otherwise Gil McLaughlin mm. would have been a ticked-off <laughs> human being, which is now the AFC. The AFL side of the competition uh, got the, Newcastle, uh, the New York Jets out of the division into what was then known as the NFL-AFL championship game. Until 1969, someone came up with the idea, why don't we just call it the Super Bowl? So Super Bowl three was actually the first known as the Super Bowl. But before the game, Joe and the Jets, huge underdogs, Joe decided to just call it and said, we're going to beat these suckers. And this is exactly what he said, recounting it a few years later. I got news for you, buddy. We're going to win the game, I guarantee you. That's all there was to it. One guy in the media picked up on that statement. Then everybody said, oh, guaranteeing a win, guaranteeing a win. I think we got a heck of a shot of winning. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. I know we're going to win. I have that attitude. I feel that way. And it's not uh, overconfidence thing. It's football sense. Namath has not been bashful this week. And he has said that the Jets are going to win. He doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. So that was set the scene. So a couple of days before, can you imagine that before an NRL grand final, AFL grand final, a player says, yeah, we're not just going to win. I'm going to guarantee that we're going to win. And by the way, we're seven to one underdogs as well. So Broadway Joe said that. Now Broadway Joe was known as that because he was, he's a good looking dude. You know, he's, he's quarterback. He's good looking. He's late sixties. You know, he's in New York. He's, he, he's got a bit about him, put it that way. The great Howard Cosell, who you might remember from his relationship with people like Muhammad Ali, he was one of the great reporters, TV figures in American history when it comes to sport. He filed this report just before the Super Bowl in Miami. Joe Namath. Joe Namath, who likes girls, but who also likes to throw a football and who throws it harder, straighter, and more quickly than any other man alive. Joe Namath, who gets bad publicity, but who doesn't care really because he enjoys being different and he enjoys being written about. Joe Namath, who as a kid in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, vowed that someday he would become a somebody and never work in the steel mills. And he has become a somebody. He's Broadway Joe now, a big shot. And he loves it. And who wouldn't? But Joe Namath, blessed with that magnificent throwing arm and with all the confidence in the world, has never faced a team like Baltimore. Well, he built it up beautifully there, Howard Cosell. Joe Namath. <laughs> He's almost his own character, aside from his own personality, Howard. Anyway, uh, Broadway Joe rocks up, and what do you reckon happens? Of course, they shut out. Baltimore. So this was one of the biggest shocks in American sporting history. Baltimore, a 13-1 in season. They can't get on the board. They score late, but they go down to the New York Jets 16-7. So Joe Namath, who's not only a good-looking guy and a great quarterback, has now got this celebrity that goes way beyond gridiron and NFL football, which then would become eventually NFL football when the two merged and uh, all got on as happy campers, the AFL, and AFC, NFC, NFL. So Joe Namath becomes this massive, massive star. And at the time of his uh, Super Bowl, when he's 25, 26, massive star, he gets involved with a nightclub <laughs> called Bachelors 3 oh. in New York. 
Now, you could imagine a New York nightclub owned by Joe, Joe Namath in 1969 in New York. There's a bit going on in that nightclub. There's a bit going on. And it was alleged by the people who were running the NFL at the time that there were some shady people involved. There were some shady people hanging out in this nightclub. Joe Namath was told to get rid of his asset. He didn't want to. So what he did a couple of months after the winning that Super Bowl on January 12, 1969, he retired. He said, no, nah, that's it. I'm going. I'm done. In the end, he was talked around because he was told if he didn't get rid of it, he wouldn't be allowed to play for the New York Jets or anyone ever again. And this is the news report from that night where he eventually relented and got rid of his share in Bachelors 3. And have a listen out at the end of this to the most uninspired TV presenter in the history of television. Even though everything that's been said about myself having dice games, etc., uh, the magazines writing what they have and newspapers writing about undesirable people, hasn't been proven and Bachelors 3 has never done anything wrong, I still want to play football and we are back in football after the agreement. That's the news. This is Harry Reasoner. Good night. Sorry to keep you awake, Harry. <laughs> so that was the news. And that was January 12, 1969, Joe Namath. And the story of Joe Namath becoming Broadway Joe and the prediction, the guarantee, what a moment. The first ever Super Bowl, known as the Super Bowl, Super Bowl three will go down. And who will win this year's Super Bowl, we'll find out. You can catch every NFL game this season live on NFL Game Pass. Visit nflgamepass.com.au. Human of the day, Broadway Joe. Welcome back. Uh, just a text on the text line, 0457 736 736. Out of that uh, recap of Joe Namath, um, Human of the Day, January 12, 1969, Super Bowl III. Uh, Baz from Brightwaters, he's taken another direction. Remember when NFL star Manfred Mann came to Australia and said he'd play for the lowest-ranked team, had to, happened to be the Newcastle, uh, Newtown Jets, and I saw him throw a ball over the grandstand at Henson Park. See, eliciting fine, fine memories, Human of the Day. We're off to a break. Plenty on the way in our third hour. Back in a moment. Call anytime. 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. This is Mornings, right here on SEN. Yeah, great to have your company wherever you're listening on the SEN network, be it on the app, on the podcast, or in Sydney on 1170 or up there on the Gold Coast, 1620 AM or Brisbane, 693 AM. It's Thursday morning and you're with Adam Peacock in for Matty White, who will be back next week. Uh, the NRL has released their tweaks to the rules. There's no major rule changes on the way. I'll just quickly go through the, the headline uh, items. Grounding the ball. No obvious separation between the ball and the hand or the arm in the action of grounding it. The ball is allowed to rotate from the hand to the wrist or forearm provided there's no obvious separation. So that's a clarification of the rules. The number of uh, head knocks or HIAs basically who can't come back um, will be reduced from three to two to in, uh, invoke the 18th man being able to be um, activated, if you like, off the bench. Uh, the bunker, this will be interesting to see how this one plays out. The bunker may only intervene for acts of foul play, which it deems to be reportable as opposed to getting involved in everything. Yeah. That'll last four weeks. Max. Max. Captain's challenge. The referee 
uh, now can blow his whistle to stop play rather than only after a decision resulting in a structured restart. So a player, it sounds like that one means that a player can just, yeah, the captain can just yeah, challenge straight away while the play is still going as opposed to stopping and then saying the challenge. And a challenge can be made following the final play in each half provided the referee has not already called half or full time. Uh, this one's really interesting. 10-metre compliance. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that at the moment it's only one foot on the line or one foot back to 10 metres. Now, both feet in line or behind the referee. Otherwise, you'll be pinged. Hmm. And also, referees will issue a single call of held release as opposed to held one elephant, two elephant, three elephant, Melbourne Storm, get off the player. Release. <laughs> did I just say that or did I think that? Not the only ones, of course. Melbourne Storm, morning to Matt Tripp and the crew down there. Frank Panisi and the crew. No. Um, it's held release straight away, not held, pause, then release. So they're the rule updates. Let us know what you reckon of them on 0457 736 736. Have they missed something? Is there something you like or is there something that's open to being rorted? Dom? Producer in the studio, Mark as well, producer in the studio. Guys, what do you reckon of those? Well, I didn't know we had uh, Brandy Alexander in the studio, the Melbourne Storm's number one hater. Because oh, morning to Cameron Smith as well, if you're listening <laughs> up there on the Gold Coast. <laughs> SEN's Cameron Smith there. Look, uh, the bunker one, I mean, the captain's challenge one, oh, that's going to cause a stir. You can just picture it now. Someone's on the breakaway just about to score, and the captain's go, captain's challenge, captain's mm. challenge. I think that's going to happen, and then we're going to have to change the rules again. I think that's really stupid. I reckon that the 10 meter one's a big one. Massive. That massive. that changes the line speed ever so slightly and anything that changes it ever so slightly opens up the opportunity for more attacking play. So yeah. you you standing there like I, I suppose they'll still have one foot behind the other. They won't just have two feet yeah parallel to the referee, but it's just that little bit further back. So I believe the rule was one foot in line with the referee. That's definitely why. on the line. I definitely, remember the one foot on the line. Yeah, you so. had to have one, which is why fans would always yell offside, not mm. knowing the rules. And now it's going to be nice, crystal clear. I don't mind it, though. I think it's a good rule. Mm. I don't mind that. The statement from Graham Armisley, the last sentence of this, this <laughs> is what all these rules will be judged on. The very last sentence. These changes will allow clubs and players clarity on certain issues while also giving fans more entertainment and transparency as the game evolves in 2023. So if after four weeks... We're, have, we're here, we're on air, we're all talking, and we don't know what's going on with the rule. <laughs> we come to that very last sentence, more entertainment and transparency as the game evolves. There will be issues, as always, because it's human interpretation. So there will be a coach that blows up about the interpretation, say, if they were only had one foot behind the referee all game, we were told pre-season. I reckon what will help is if, you know, they, they can take a video to these referees' briefings with teams. They all go around to teams. Just take a video, put it out on social media, a little three, four-minute video of the refs talking to a team pre-season or a few teams as well. And then if they have refreshes through the year, mm. keep that up so you know as a fan that the referees are in constant communication with teams. Now, coaches and teams are going to try and twist the narrative any way they can. That's just the way it goes. But I think that the refs can help themselves by doing that. Don't refs in the Premier League in football in England during the preseason, the off-season, they go round to all the big mm. clubs and have meetings with every single team. Happens all here, the yeah. play. Oh, does does yeah. happen here as well? Because yeah. this is what I'm expecting. This is what I don't expect. Yeah, there needs to be more of that. I think. Yeah. Every time there's a rule change, there's a big meeting between at least one club representative and the referees and the board uh, mm. there. The, I believe there's a referees coach as well. Every, mm. So everyone gets involved in that. So 
Yeah, it's tough. I really think I like your idea of the video. I think you should possibly for the fans perspective as well and the media get an example of what's happening. So let's get an example of something that happened last year and the referee mm. saying, okay, this year, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Or, you know, this isn't going to fly anymore. This is what we're going to do now. i got to give a shout out as well to the um, NRL. They, they do do Monday briefings about what went on on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Full, full and total disclosure, which has to continue. You might not agree with it, but it has to continue because it, you know, just eases the temperature a little bit. That is something that doesn't happen in football. The real yeah. something happens. The decision's been made. Can we ask why? No. No. VAR in know. football. Sorry, go away. There's yeah. no FIFA won't allow the audio. We've tried it when I was working at Fox. We tried it mm. to get the audio from the referee talking to the VAR person. Yeah. FIFA won't allow it right, at all. Okay. It's ridiculous. They, they do a great job of it here. You, you can hear the the communication between AFL and NRL and and, and rugby union uh, TMOs and and also the referees on the pitch. Football don't allow it. It's every every sport stupid. in the world does it. Um, well, and Fox released, I think, two videos of the refs talking to the VAR. It got over two million views worldwide because it's the first time any football fans had heard what conversations actually go on between the two. Exactly. Uh, now Dom's digging today. We've got um, you, you got the intro music. Yep, Just ripped it off the Pink Panther. <laughs> best journalism here at its best from Dom. Um, Dom's digging. It's an unlikely alliance. Yes. There's a little story brewing here, which is not too far away from our studios for SEN here in Sydney. Yeah, so the Bears, the North Sydney Bears, are linking up with Cricket New South Wales in a joint venture to try and possibly bring back the North Sydney Bears to the NRL mm. with a proposed $11 million funding of redevelopment to North Sydney Oval to ensure the famous old ground remains viable as a venue for elite sport. That is the quote taken there. Now, I was speaking to you a little bit about this earlier. Mm. What the hell are they going to do with $11 million to revamp North Sydney Oval? Because that is not a lot of money. Paint the joint? Could do that. I mean, that's, that that's a start. Update the dunnies? Definitely. Mm. Is that something that needs to be done? Yeah, but $11 million is going to go... Quickly. Uh, mm. They don't want the ground to lose its charm. No, but... of course not. But if you're going to bring back, you know, you've got to, if you want to go back to the NRL, you've got certain expectations you've got to uphold for a stadium. Now, the Bears have acknowledged that if they want to get the 18th NRL license, they're more than likely going to have to be based outside of Sydney, which is where Western Australia slash Perth comes into play. And look, under this proposal, this is how the breakdown would work. So the Bears and Cricket New South Wales are going to contribute 100000 each. North Sydney Council is going to put in $2.5 million. The AFL has snuck in with 50000 Northern Northern Suburbs Rugby, twenty grand, which means there's $8.5 million that mm. they are requesting from the New South Wales or federal government to help, which is a lot of money. It's no $300 million for a Tassie AFL stadium, but still. Everyone's got their hand out, don't they? <laughs> I, I can't see how with all due respect, North Sydney Bears, how they come back into the competition. If they come back into the competition, mm. how they come back North Sydney in the middle of... I, 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 no, unfortunately, can't. I can't see it. They're, it they're building new transport links there, aren't they? Like they've got the new... Like, they're building a light rail yep. just off North Sydney Oval. Mm. Like, so that's maybe something that they have to cooperation with the government or something. Where's the fan base going to come? There is a, a... You know, the the remains of the fan base mm. from the old North Sydney, which went in 1999, I think it was, that they joined up with Manly to be, become the ill-fated Northern Eagles. But, yeah, I think Central Coast is more likely, and more likely than that is Perth. 
yeah, I think Perth is the spot. Obviously, Origin, you know, crowd numbers do really well. I think outside of Melbourne, New South Wales and Queensland, that would be the highest, uh, you know, crowd attendance for any Origin game. And they've got the ground over there, HBF Park, where yep. uh, the, the, the whatever the, the Western Force still these days in Rugby Union yep. and also Perth Glory play. Yep. It's undergoing an upgrade right now. Mm-hmm. Great stadium, great location. It's all there already for a rugby league team to just waltz yeah. into Perth. If they want it. I think there's an appetite for it as well. I really think Origin in Perth the last couple of years has really set the stage for that. So I think if that would happen, they would definitely come back to North Sydney Oval and play a mm. couple of games. That's a certainty. I don't think the Bears would allow the name to move to Perth without at least three or four in North Sydney. Now, you've done a bit of digging as well. There's a little yarn floating around about St. George Illawarra. Oh, here we go. Back with the music. Well, now... I've got to reveal, this isn't exclusive. I don't think anyone else in the world is reporting this. We don't do exclusives here on this show. We just rip information off from everything else and get the audio off YouTube, and that's three hours. (laughs) I don't do exclusives. (laughs) Oh, the odd interview. Yeah, the odd interview, but this is a genuine exclusive. Okay. I can't reveal my sources. No, don't do that. I won't. That's the first rule. Never reveal my sources, but this is very unconfirmed. I am doing some digging trying to get to the bottom of this, but... Mm. The Illawarra side of the Dragons are trying to change the name without consulting the members. So if you remember, in late December, the Dragons sent out a kind of survey to their members, just yep. ask them a few questions, and then they just snuck in, what do, you, what, do you want to, what do you want to the Dragons to be renamed to? The Southern Dragons? The Dragons? Southern Dragons. The St. George Dragons? The Illawarra Dragons? Ooh. You know. So that was part of that, kind of getting a feel. The Dragons fans were not happy. They said, no, we're the St. George Illawarra Dragons. But... Since the Illawarra side holds the majority of the money, the Dragons are based in Illawarra and heavily backed by Win Entertainment, there is murmurs from the Steelers faction that they're going to change it without consulting the fans to move away from the dirty merger. Move away from the merger? The name. So what what are they going to do with the Illawarra name then? I'm still digging. <laughs> so, it, so it's not only from maybe the St. George side... It's from Illawarra as well. From the Illawarra side. So that's where... That's an unhappy marriage. That's where the Dragons or the Southern Dragons looking likely. And I spoke to Phil Jakes. He's a massive Dragons fan. And he said, if it's anything other than the St. George Illawarra Dragons, he's dropping his allegiance. He's going to Cronulla. You can't do that. that. Well, he (laughs) said... Maybe we need a follow-up interview with Phil if he's not at the National Park. You can't just drop him and then go and hook up with the... The despised break up with your missus and go neighbor. to a best friend. Yeah, yeah. No, that doesn't work. Well, that's that doesn't that's work. his, and he's he's obviously a Wollongong native, uh, big Steelers fan back in the day. So, so this is the twenty fourth year I think St George Illawarra has been a thing, and I'm just still amazed that they can't, they haven't settled on the name. <laughs> At least the West Tigers have settled on the name. Yeah. Like there are a few other problems with that <laughs> joint venture, but at least they're cool with what they're called. Yeah. Well, the Tigers also have seven home grounds next year. I think, yeah, seven. Seven? seven? Yeah, seven. Name them. Uh, Suncorp for Magic Ground. Yeah. Uh, Campbelltown, Leichhardt, Accor. Allianz? New Ze- they're taking a game to Mount Smart Stadium, which is one of their home games. Yeah. Allianz. Campbelltown. I already said Campbelltown. And Campbelltown. I believe they're taking a game to Bathurst. Seven home grounds. Ask Joel Kane how he feels about it. Not too happy. 
Yeah, I will. Uh, Dom Zigging, that was um, that was a bumper edition. I've got one more. Oh, one more. One more. Look so out. Bristol City fans, they've had enough of not getting penalties. They've made a website called bristolcitypenalty.co.uk. <laughs> and all it is is a photo of them taking a penalty and it says, time since last competitive Bristol City penalty awarded, 431 days, 19 hours, 31 minutes. And 431 40. days 431 days since they got a competitive penalty. And you know how long it was before that one? No. 718 <laughs> days. So in the span of just over two years, they've received two penalties. Haven't received one in over a year and a bit. No, that's that's 1,100 days. That's more than – that's that's three years plus. But is the time before – oh, yeah, it is. That's before Wuhan. <laughs> before the world changed. <laughs> They've got one penalty since there was such a thing called COVID-19. Back when it was coronavirus. Back when it was just a coronavirus and no bastard cared about yeah. coronaviruses, which were floating around everywhere. And then this happened and changed the world. And everyone knows about coronavirus. Everyone knows about COVID. Bristol City have got one penalty in that time. Yes, one. Insane. Absolutely insane. Just before we let you go about your jersey, $1,500 for a Ronaldo jersey, Manchester yeah. United Ronaldo jersey. Buy the jersey, Dom, says Greg. You can only hope the value of my signed Messi and Iniesta one. Oh, I'll buy it if that helps. Um, my friend Jono messaged me and he said fifteen hundred's a great price. Absolutely yeah. agree. Fantastic price. I don't know who so your thanks for having are. my back, mate. I don't know who your friends are. Dom's digging. Thank you for that. Much appreciated. We've got plenty more on the way on Mornings with Adam Peacock. Back in a sec. Not sure uh, Cameron Smith will be as enthused about the Mowers Club after the little jibe about Melbourne Storm <laughs> earlier about uh, the, the, uh, the, the little rule tweak for the NRL. Uh, a text on this very subject is the fact that the NRL are going to twist the interpretation of when referee kill, calls held. Instead of held and then give it a couple of seconds and then say release, it's held release straight away. So the, the referee will say held and release at the same time and then that means get off. And Warrior Holic uh, in New Zealand has texted in with the – a really good point here. I really hope they do place the, the 10 metres and the held release. The 10 metres is both feet behind the ref now, not just the one foot. I literally time the storm, and on average, they hold the player for three to four seconds between held and release versus other clubs who only get away with two to three seconds. That makes a huge difference when it comes to setting your D. Warrior Holic in New Zealand, really into it, uh, really into his footy is Warrior Holic, but it's, it's a good point. Like not pinning the storm, it's all teams as well. It's going to be really hard to come down with a, a, a clear, definitive uh, interpretation of that rule. Like one referee will be a bit different to the next referee. But, yeah, they're, they're trying to do something about the ruck, I think, and speed up a little bit of uh, play and have as much entertaining footy as possible. Uh, and Stu, Stu from Cronulla on the text line about the Bears' possible uh, merger or relocation or whatever it's going to be. Adam, you have every right to have an opinion on the Bears coming back, but the opinion should have an alert attached with a heavily manly bias. 100% Stu, yeah. Pretty mad manly fan right here. So I've got nothing against North Sydney coming back into the competition. I hope they actually do. Great um, name, firstly, Bears, uh, in some way, shape or form. I think they should be the 18th team, whether it be here in Sydney, Central Coast, Perth, remains to be seen. Bit of tennis news. Max Purcell is through to the main draw of the Australian Open. He's just wrapped up his qualifying singles third match uh, today down there against uh, Matteo Arnaldi of Italy. He's through in straight sets. So Max Purcell, who 12 months ago had a little bit of an issue with um, Leighton Hewitt about not being selected for Davis Cup, not being involved with Davis Cup. Well, Max has, um, yeah, he's back in the Davis Cup setup, which was great to see, and he's into the main draw. It's no easy feat qualifying for 
uh, the singles event at any Grand Slam. Max has done it at his home Grand Slam, so he boosts the numbers for the Australians in the main draw of the Australian Open, which starts next Monday. Speaking of the Davis Cup, it has been totally stuffed about. Stuffed about. Um, now the Davis Cup is not held in home ports, especially the final. It's in one central location. They have a, a playoffs set up when it gets to September, and then the teams get through to the final, quarterfinal, semifinal, final. It's played over one week in one city. Best of three sets, three ties instead of five. Not the best of five. It's totally changed the dynamic of the competition. Last year, Davis Cup final was between who, Mark? It was a couple of months ago. Oh, I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. There you go. Yeah. Australia, Canada. I could tell you. And Canada. I remember won. that because I work at a sports radio station. Yeah, yeah. Australia, right. Canada. We'll scrap. We'll swap. The, I'll do it again in the podcast. You won't who, even know. Who played? Who played in the final of the Davis Cup? Mark? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, France, Canada wasn't. No, it? no, yeah. no. Australia, Canada. Oh, ah, yeah. <laughs> nearly. Canada won. Uh, Australia were involved. Um, it's really unfortunate what's happened to this because it even spoke to Felix Auger Aliassim, who was the reason why Canada won, and he said. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame for us players. We'd really love that to be in Toronto, Montreal, or even come down here in front of a hostile Australian crowd and win it that way. Pat Cash was on Sports Day yesterday. Davis Cup hero of years gone by. Here's his take on the current Davis Cup. Davis Cup's a... Uh, I hate to say it, but uh, you know, I didn't even know who won the Davis Cup. No. Um, uh, <laughs> well, barely. No, and that's the problem. I did, follow, I did follow the Aussies. Um, I, I was, of course, I was following the Aussies, but... Um, I, I didn't really know much about. It. I knew it was in the Middle East. Uh, you know, I, was, I wanted the guys to, to to do well. It's got to be a bit of a farce when a team that loses in the playoff gets thrown back in because they banned Russia and <laughs> uh, and they end up winning the tournament. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what can anything else go wrong with this event, this tournament, um, the Davis Cup since they since they've changed it? I mean, absolutely everything has has pretty much gone wrong with it. Um, one thing after the other. Yeah, that's um, what happened with Canada. It, and Cashy's bang on there. He did know who won the uh, Davis <laughs> He said at the front at the start of it. But that's that's the feeling around Davis Cup at the moment. Now, obviously, Australia, Leighton Hewitt's the captain, still hold Davis Cup so closely. Billie Jean Cup on the, uh, on the women's side as well. Um, that these team events mean so much. That players can get so much out of it. You look at a guy like Jason Kubler involved, not on court with the Davis Cup team. He start to this summer by doing what he did at the United Cup, all under the, the umbrella of Leighton Hewitt. And, and Kubler's got so much out of working with Leighton Hewitt, a, a, a bit of a hero as well, that there is so many benefits for tennis players to be in this environment. But unfortunately, the ITF, and it was a political decision because the ITF president at the time, it was up for discussion. They had this big bid come in from this consortium led by Jared Piquet, who uh, was a former player at FC Barcelona, and, and, and they wanted to centralise it and have this um, this tournament style around the Davis Cup. And basically, they took the money, the ITF. They sold the farm, was the quote that I was given, and they sold it, and it's gone. It's gone now. And now the the uh, the, the final again this year will be in Malaga, regardless of who makes it. might not be Spain. It'll be Australia and Canada, for instance, again. And it's on neutral territories. It's just been watered down, unfortunately, the Davis Cup, and it's gone past the point of no return. It won't be back. Davis Cup in its current form in the not too distant in its old form in the near future. It's just so unfortunate what has happened to that. Anyway, we've got an Australian Open to look forward to, and that'll be enough to occupy us for the next two weeks. You can hear a lot of it here on SEN as well. It starts Monday. Stack of Aussies involved in the men's and the women's, especially the men's. The men's side 
of Australian tennis really going well and uh, a few uh, qualifiers and we've got the wild cards and also the guys who got into the draw off their own bat with the uh, the seeds done yesterday. Nick Kyrgios, the top Australian seed, the men's side, seeded number 20. Here's some news and we're going to have some football after the break and hope to catch up with Kaya Simon, Matilda. Some big news for football fans in Australia this morning with the confirmation that the Matildas are locked in to play a Cup of Nations tournament next month. The matches will be in Newcastle, Gosford, and Sydney, February 16, 1922, against Czech Republic, Jamaica, and Spain. So this is a huge part of the build-up for the Matildas looking forward to the World Cup, which starts in the middle of July with the first group game against Ireland in Sydney. Joining us now is Matilda's legend and legendary person as well, Kaya Simon. Uh, great to have your company, Kaya. How are you? And Happy New Year. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I'm still in Australia at the moment. I'm up in Newcastle um, doing my rehab. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. So Happy New Year to you too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's the twelfth. I know it's like Larry David might look at it and go, "This is a bit late to saying Happy New Year," but I haven't sp- spoken to you in a while, so it's it's good to hear your voice. So, with um, yeah, you mentioned there you're doing your rehab, so big knee injury late last year, and you're still on track. You you still got it in your mind, the competitor that I know you are, that uh, you're going to be available and and ready for the World Cup when it comes around. Yeah, look, definitely that's the goal. Um, things are progressing well. I'm on track. Physios are happy. Surgeons happy. So, um, yeah, obviously um, that's kind of the fighter in me that I won't take uh, no for, a, for an answer. And I'll, I'll kind of do all I can, which I am working as hard as I can every day to be back as quick as I can. So, um, yeah, definitely all on track to be back uh, for the World Cup. And there's a lot of... Um, time between now and then but also a lot of hard work to be done and, and I'm definitely kind of in the thick of that at the moment so I'm um, enjoying the process taking it day by day and um, missing football as always but yeah I think um, I'm yeah what better thing to look forward to than a home world cup uh, later on in the year so um, that's definitely keeping me motivated on a day, day-to-day basis. Silver lining I'm sure you could do without the injury but silver lining you, you get to spend a little extra time outside of a London winter down in this part of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I left snowy um, weather and freezing cold minus degree weather in the UK. So I was more than happy to come back to Australia, back to Sydney, see the family, get some sunshine and, and you know, beach in and, and spend Christmas with, with my family, which um, I didn't feel like I had to rush off within, you know, three or four days after that festive period, which which has been nice. So... I'm definitely enjoying this, um, you know, sunshine. I've been lucky that the weather's been holding off and, um, you know, we've had some mid-20s to 30-degree weather days. So um, I'll soak that up as much as I possibly can before I go back to the miserable cold UK weather. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're pumped about it. Hey, um, with this <laughs> with this tournament, so I'd link it back to uh, 2017. Now, that was the... the the, the wow one of the big wow moments in the recent history of the Matildas with a a, a tournament like the one that's being going to be held next month it was the three nation tournament over in the states a four nation tournament over in the states you beat Japan uh, USA and absolutely gave it to Brazil they're, they're big tournaments and this one will be no different because of what's on the horizon talk us through the opponents that the Matildas will face from um, February 16 and what it means for preparations. 
Yeah, so obviously three very different opponents. Tesnia, you know, the old Czech Republic. Uh, we've got Jamaica and, and Spain as well and the Cup of Nations. So it's another tournament-style camp, so to speak. Um, and, you know, what better kind of preparation in terms of a lead into the World Cup uh, in regards to playing three different football style teams uh, and then, you know, also here on home soil, which will be really nice in terms of preparation, getting used to that tournament style feel um, just, you know, a few months out from the tournament later on uh, in the year. And, um, yeah, I think it'll be just a good challenge in terms of facing different uh, footballing teams, really, or, or countries. And, um, yeah, I, I think it'll be a good confidence boost. It'll be also great for the fans and supporters to come out and show support for the team in, in the hype and build-up for the uh, the World Cup later on in the year. And uh, I think it'll be I think it'll be a great, um, great you know, tournament for, for us in terms of just preparation and, and getting us, you know, I guess a taste of, of what that will be like later on in the year and, and also the general public a, a taste of what it'll be like also. Just on Spain, so they're, they're the top-ranked team coming for this Cup of Nations. Uh, how good are they? Because historically speaking, it's been other European nations and USA that have, have you know, been at the very top of the women's game. But um, that's kind of twisting a little bit when it comes to Spain, is it not? Yeah, look, Spain, I mean, you don't have to really know football to know how great they are as a, as a footballing nation, men and women. Um, it's kind of in their, in their blood and their culture. And, you know, for the women's side, I guess, it's pretty much the the whole Barcelona side, bar a few internationals that they've got, and you can see what they've done on a club level uh, across the world in terms of um, you know the the Champions League and and other uh, trophies like that they've listed. Um, and I think that's filtering through to their national team. So they're definitely a force and uh, you know a powerhouse of of women's football. And I think in in major tournaments, though, they haven't probably you know, gone as far as what people would expect them to, and that's probably their Achilles heel. But, you know, that takes nothing away from the quality that they are as a side, the individuals that they've got, that individual brilliance and, and kind of the star power that they have within their, their squad. So, again, it's going to be a great test for us. We played them, you know, just recently, only 12, within 12 months ago, and, and that was a test for us. So it'd be interesting to see how far we've come and how they've also changed uh, within that time frame uh, to see, you know, how well we do. Our squad looked a little bit different mid last year with, with players, you know, having time off and, and in off season. So we'll be a different outfit um, to, to also what they will be when we do face them uh, next month in, uh, in February. Absolutely. Um, I just one about the, the documentary that's going to be on Disney later in the year, presuming it's still all going ahead. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is because at the moment we've got all these sporting docos coming out. We've got a golf one coming out, a tennis one coming out, uh, the cricket one comes out. We spoke with Adrian Brown, the director of the test earlier on the show. Um, have, have you found the process? Have, have you really noticed the crew when you've been involved with the Matildas when the crew's been around or what's the go there from your point of view? Yeah, no, as far as I know, it's still, it's still coming out this year. And um, no, I feel like they've kind of just morphed into our into our staff. I don't think, I think in the beginning, you know, when you've got kind of cameras around and, and people externally coming into the fold, I think that's when you realise. But we got to know the crew, we got to know the, the directors walking around and it was kind of just a part of camp, really. It was, um, I guess, as, as a profile of women's, 
sport and women's football has grown, we're kind of getting more accustomed to there being cameras and, and media and journalists around. So it wasn't new from that respect. It was it was more so just, all right, they're, they're a part of kind of the, the team. They're a part of our um, our staff group. And, and it was just the norm to have them around. So, no, it wasn't invasive at all. It was we go about our thing like usual. Um, yeah, and, and that's kind of how we want to be represented as, genuine as we are off camera where we're the same people on camera and that's I think the beauty of it is that you know no one really changed just because there's cameras around but we all just stuck true to who we are and and kind of mucked about and joked around like we usually would with with one another and um yeah I think it'll be really interesting to watch and see even you know being being a part of it just to see kind of how we come across on on camera and if it's actually um you know what what we're like kind of you know together and behind the scenes if it comes across the exact same way um, through the doco I think it'll just be a really good insight for everyone to see you know what we're like as a team what individuals are like away from the the game and then also um, kind of what makes us the Matildas team that we are. Who's the extrovert who's going to be front and centre with all the funny moments do you reckon in the squad? <laughs> it depends when the cameras were rolling or who was mic'd up at that time so that's what's the most interesting is we'd be in a training session and uh you know, where so you'd be speaking to someone and they'd be like, I'm mic'd up. So you don't really know who's mic'd up and when they're mic'd up uh, when you're on training. It's kind of like, a, yeah, a bit of a guessing game, which is, which is yeah, adds to the fun a bit, little bit more interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see kind of who comes out as that, that joker or extrovert because we definitely have a fair few of us uh, in the team. Cool. Look forward to seeing that. And, um, yeah. Kaya, best of luck with the, the continuation of the recovery. Um, and yeah, looking forward to these matches next month, uh, which you won't be involved with because the recovery goes on. But uh, yeah, um, big year for the Matildas and look forward to seeing you back out there. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. No worries. Kaya Simon, Matildas legend, joining us on uh, mornings here on SEN. A reminder of that uh, Cup of Nations schedule, February 16, 19 and also 22. Uh, the Matildas taking on their double headers each, each uh, match day. Uh, the Matildas taking on Czech Republic, uh, Jamaica, and also Spain. So tickets are available now. I think Ticket Tech and Ticketmaster, depending on the venue of being at either Newcastle, Gosford, or Sydney, get out there and support the Matildas. Yeah, great to have your company on mornings. Uh, Morning Storm Stirrers writes Hillstorm Hillary, uh, talking about the um, you know the change to the interpretations in the NRL uh, laws about the held release call coming straight away instead of held pause release. When you look good doing it, uh, writes Hillstorm, it looks natural and acceptable and we just do everything better than the rest and perfect things quicker than the rest. That's why we're the most successful team in the last two decades. Bring on Feb 12, the trial against a bit of cheese and rooster. Cheers and morning cuppers, Hillstorm Hillary. Julian King joins me right now. That was a lovely way of... Sledging me back. Very uh, big fan of the network, Hillstorm Hillary. Hello, Ads. Hello, everyone. How many uh, Monday briefings do you expect Graham Annesley to be explaining rulings from across the course of the weekend about grounding the ball and the rest? You can just see oh, it right now. I reckon the, the overs-unders is about eight. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go with that. I would go with that. Oh, you had a, uh, a text before talking about, oh, I'm sure you said NFL, NFL star Manfred Mann. Yeah, yeah. I think it meant Manfred Moore. Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he wasn't blinded by the light. I did get a text had lights, like that. Well, yeah. <laughs> lights at, at Henson Park back in the day. I was doing so much, yeah, so much pop culture this week. It's all mixed up and wrapped everything. Up like like, wrapped up like a what? Like a deuce, but it sounded like another word. Um, did you like that, the, the Joe Namath? Uh... No, no, this is great. I, you know, every time it, 
you know, because Simpsons, I suppose, is the high watermark of popular culture. And when Bart's playing in the football team, and he's no good. And I think Joe Namath, his car breaks down right in front of him and goes, hey, kid, here's one tip to be a great quarterback. And that tip is, Joe, we fixed the car, let's go. And he's going, well, <laughs> he remember off. what I told you. <laughs> you didn't tell me anything. So Joe, Na- Joe Namath on this day, uh, January 12, 1969, won Super Bowl three, the first Super Bowl to be known as Super Bowl after it was previously called the AFL-NFL Championship game. But uh, Joe Namath went into pop culture. He owned that nightclub in New York, Bachelors Three. And you mentioned The Simpsons. He appeared on another episode of The Simpsons when uh, Grandpa Simpson had a little flashback. His wild, untamed facial hair revealed a new world of rebellion, of change. A world where doors were open for women like me. But Abe was stuck in his button-down, plastic, fantastic Madison Avenue scene. Look at them sideburns. He looks like a girl. Now, Johnny Unitas, there's a haircut you can set your watch to. Johnny Unitas. That's right. The little crop hair, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. A little flat top. Homer's mum was a real hippie. So Homer's mum, did Homer's mum then bail? She bailed. Yeah, yeah, she bailed and went to San Francisco. Communes and, <laughs> and the rest of it. So. <laughs> singing with a bit of flowers in her hair oh, and all that yeah. garbage. So. That's right. And then yeah. Homer went on that mission, didn't he, to, to find out his, his middle name and his mum, and he spent some time in a hippie commune and then, yeah. you know, took the van and started playing Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. So. One of the best jokes ever, his middle name for years. He wanted to find out what the J stood for in Homer J. Simpson. And he finds out it stands for J. J A Y. J. My middle name's J. Hey, uh, I'm sure you'd love to do three hours of Simpsons I coming would. up on afternoons, but what have you got coming up? On the I'm going to chat to our dear mate Gavin Robertson uh, off the back yep. of the Indian squad selected yesterday. Four spinners. Robbo knows a thing or two about spin bowling in India, having gone on the '98 tour. And the great Arapali Prasanna said to him, "You don't know what you. What are you doing here? You don't belong here." And then mm. told him to. to tweak his actions. So I'll get his thoughts on the spin bowling quartet. Jaleesa Raps will join us for anything and everything, bit of mm-hmm. footy, bit of uh, cricket and a bit of Jaleesa as well. And RJ Achawa from SB Nation is a mad, mad Dallas Cowboys fan taking on uh, Brady's Bucks, the aging Bucks. And I think they might get over the line, although they, their form recently has been a bit indifferent, the Dallas Cowboys. So we'll chat NFL as well. Too easy, Jules. Look forward to the show. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. We're off to our last break. Back in a moment to wrap things up on mornings for this Thursday.